Billy. Ho, neighbor. This is Jensen Beeler. No, no. <laughs> I can't. I can't even respond to that. And this is the Murdidly Erdler. Murdidly Erdler. I'm Quentin Wilson. And together we are the Two Enthusiasts Podcast. <laughs> the Two Enthusiasts Podcast, the most triumphant podcast ever. What now? Why do you say triumphant? Oh, because you wrote the triumph. Get it? Oh, that's I expert didn't... level punnery. It was. It was good. It was just wordplay, but yeah, it was. Yeah, so get... three go off with the Simpsons reference and then slid the, yeah. the triumph right yeah, in there. It's very triumphant. Yeah, I feel triumphant. You should feel triumphant because before we get too too far in the weeds, Quentin, congratulations on Alta getting an investment from Harley Davidson. Well, thank you. Applause all around. Sure. If we had a studio audience, you we would do like the applause Congratulate. Song. I would definitely say, and this isn't, I'm not being cheesy. The home team there in Brisbane is has been working very hard at, uh, well, m- making the company good enough, making product that's good enough that a large manufacturer like Harley would say, we would like to partner with you. And the idea that a... Uh, that Harley, who has already gone to the lengths of producing an electric bike, even if it was a prototype, would still say, hey, you guys have done such a good job that we would like to use you to do the next thing. So that's really rad. This is how I know you're evolving in your corporate speak because that was expert level corporate shill. Was it? Talk right yeah, there. Yeah. Like, you didn't you didn't see any blue sky growth or shifting the paradigms, oh, yeah, but sure. it was pretty good. That was pretty salesy. You've been hanging out with Christian all day, probably. It was a I have salesy. been, and it's yeah. it's working out very yeah, well. Your swarm is very good, but <laughs> but to be fair, no, I, I'm excited for them too. Uh, I think having a company like Harley Davidson invest in Alta only brings legitimacy to the brand, but also legitimacy to the electric space. Yep, it's money for you guys. It, it keeps the lights on and developing products for Harley. I think it's super important because they've painted themselves into such a strong corner with chasing the baby boomer market with their cruiser style bikes that this will at least get their fingers in the pot on something new that something that maybe is going to bring in younger riders something that's not 800 pound cruiser bikes that you know only a certain demographic is looking after so it's for me looking at the the deal i think it's really positive for both brands and i'm excited to see what two american companies can do in the motorcycle space together there were like 20 different almost puns or jokes or, and I'm just now going to have to be all, like, mm, right? I'm, a, I'm like a pressure cooker of, I do have to be mindful of my P's and Q's yeah, as they were. Yeah, right? I'm sure you've got a pretty good gag order on it. So I'll, I'll do all the talking. Yeah. Sorry. But, it, but it's interesting. Uh, I think it's really, I think it's a really big thing in the industry. I know obviously like you and I have a, a very closer connection. I mean, you have a much closer connection, <laughs> but yeah. Um, I've, I've watched Alta back from when they were BRD. So I've literally seen this company grow up. So I know a lot of the players and I know a lot of the history and I've seen a lot of the story. Um, but I think for the motorcycle industry, just to take a step back, I think for the motorcycle industry, this is, this is a big deal. This is something that I think could, you know, we'll look back on in time. Like this is a point in time when Harley Davidson got serious about doing something else or, Harley Davidson finally got back into investing into other brands. And this is something I think we talked about one or two shows ago about my kind of general idea of how Harley Davidson could, could turn itself around. And one of the components of that like kind of three part plan 
was investing in other motorcycle companies, was having some sort of corporate development program, bringing other brands into the house. And Can I think, you imagine what it was like for me to listen to, especially oh, when right? Harley was doing all this stuff? And I knew, but I didn't, I don't know much, but I know enough to know what was going on. I was just like my uh, finger in my, in my mouth. Uh, uh, I can't talk, can't say anything, but you, you, boy, did you have it right. You know, that they are. Well, if anyone that. doubts it, I mean, I wrote these stories nine years ago. Yeah, this sure. is nothing That's new. True. It's before you, it's, I even knew you. It's changed also from the way they were handling the Buells and MVs Augustas right. relative right. to what's what I happening to get now. To. Yeah. I think right. that's that's a really salient thing because I Buell Buell just was never done right. Buell was the wrong product with the wrong team. It was executed the wrong way. I mean, everything you could do wrong with Buell pretty much happened. And then that continued on into EBR. And if I'm ever shitty about those brands, that's the reason why. Because it was just never it was never done right. So this pedestal that people put it on is like, for what? This was like an example of every choice that was made along the way. If the opposite had been done, it would have been better. So, <laughs> so hateful. I that. am. I got hate. I got, I mean, call a spade a spade, right? Yeah. You know, call a spade a spade. Like I'm softening on it over the course of time. I mean, I should go listen to our Buell show, which is one of our more popular shows. It was an early one. Yeah. We should listen to that and, and, and see, cause over the course of time, I keep thinking, I look at some of the bikes I soften on, well, that is kind of a neat looking thing. Or I, I mean, I still hate with a wild passion, the perimeter brake and the fuel gas in the, and frame, fuel in the, oil in the gas, you know, in the frame and the oil and the swing arm and all that. I, I definitely hate on that, but the visuals I'm not as bad on. And I don't, you know, I, I, I we had a local guy buy an 1190RX. Is that? Is the that, fancy, the RX was the, the EBR, the product, the EBR 1190 RX was the $20,000 yeah. superbike. The RS was the carbon fiber. Right. The RX was the in it, but it had the fairing and all that. And, and it was black and he had bought it somewhere in the Midwest and got it imported and rode it to Moto Corsa one day. And I was like, that is a good looking motorcycle. For me, it was a good looking motorcycle and it didn't look. Did you see the fit and finish on the thing? Eh, it wasn't horrible to me. Anyway, the, the general look of it, I was like, you know, I would ride that. I would totally would ride that. I think my problem with the RX was the price tag. Yeah. Because at 20 grand, sure. I'm going and I'm buying an Aprilia or Ducati or any other bike all day long. At 13, 14 grand, maybe I'm thinking about it instead of a Gixxer or a Honda because it's a little yeah. weird, it's a little different. I know. But there were so many things about that where we're just like, it's just I not know. in and this, I'm with you. this premium category. It wasn't built very well. The build quality wasn't very good. Like the electronics were shit, the perimeter brakes shit. You're just gonna sit there and just like this thing just isn't pinnacle. It's just not a pinnacle superbike. And so it's not the apex predator of the group. It's an also ran, but it's being priced like it's the the bee's knees, and it just isn't. It just isn't. You know, my shop in Los Angeles in two thousand three, four, five, six was Apex Predator Racing. Oh yeah, I do remember that. <laughs> my little motorcycle crew in Santa Barbara was the Apex Dreamers. I don't know who came up with that idea, uh, but he like, had he, like he had a very good looking haircut. I bet <laughs> Apex Predator I thought was the best double entendre for for racing. No, it's great. And I'm surprised that nobody has ever used it since or tried or anything. Because no one in motorcycle racing's read National Geographic. <laughs> <laughs> I guess okay, fair enough. All right, so we went off into the weeds in that yeah, one. We're, we're, the bottom line is you think Buell was wrong all from the get go. It had nothing to do with the way the ownership was or the way Harley. I think no, I think it had everything to do. So, so understand, I literally went to school to go do this thing. This is this is my my bread and butter, corporate development. I wanted to work in corporate development. I wanted yeah. to go work for a Harley Davidson yeah. or or a tech company to be the guy that 
finds the small brands to manages the the subsidiaries and these spinoff things that come from inside the company yep. and, and invest in in startups and you things like it. that. So and you're is, into it. This is this is You've where I studied it. I love it. This like that's why today is such a big day for me. I'm like ah yeah ah that like education. I finally get to use it. Harley Davidson mismanaged Buell just miserably, and I think they learned a lot, or hopefully they learned a lot on how not to do corporate development because it just they tried to make that company or that brand help fuel the Harley Davidson brand. And that that isn't really a great strategy all the time. You can make it work, but for them, it's just like telling Eric, like, Hey, you have to put our big air cooled V twin engines in your bikes. Uh, But the market we're going after doesn't really want big air cooled V twin. No, no, no. We got to have our engines in there. We want our engines to be the sportster engine needs to be in the street bike. And that's how we make the sportster engine look like it's the sporty version of the Harley. And you're like, "Mm, that's really not a good idea. Go to Rotax, get a purpose built V twin. But they did that. Eventually, eventually they learned. That's why I say like they, they had to learn every single lesson the hard way shoving Buell bikes into Harley Davidson dealers when it didn't necessarily make sense. We're seeing the same thing right now with KTM with its street bike and dirt bike dealers. There are KTM dealers out there that are just dirt bike dealers and it makes sense for them to be dirt bike dealers. And it doesn't make sense for them to have an RC eight super bike on the showroom floor or a KTM, no. you know, 1290 super. Duke. It would make sense for them to be able to order it. If one of their Absolutely. more ardent enthusiasts that was a dirt bike person said, Hey, I want the new adventure. Can you get me one? Right. Why? Yes, I can. Do you have to have five of them at a significant flooring cost? No, you don't. Great. Cool. Let's do it like that. And I've been saying the same thing for Ducati shops for a decade, l- dealing with, as a regional rep, all the small Ducati shops that can't afford the thirty to $150,000 worth of uh crap that you have to put into a dealership flooring to make inventory. it look well yeah. flooring inventory is one thing but i mean even just the retail identity oh. right you well, have that's to a whole put all animal, that in right? there to do the thing and then have all the bikes that are all being floored etc 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 whereas somebody that's an enthusiast in bozeman montana could buy one of the five ducatis that that shop sells and that shop might have ducati and a couple other brands and they're the one shop that has it in town and you know that they're a trusted entity that can work on the bike etc 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 but they just what they want to have the starbucks in every town that's all the same and has the same and then they can't then they uh, eliminate a good portion of the united states from being able to get a lot of bikes that they could get and i think it just shoots themselves in the foot by with that right there is a huge conversation that you and i could have right now about dealerships and how the struggle between OEMs and dealers and consumers. Yeah, the plays struggle out. is real. Perhaps we'll hold that on for another. Yeah, soon. that's another show. Yeah. Okay. Because cool. I got a lot of thoughts on that, and I think there's a couple stories on that to be to be had. All right. Well, make a note or make something. Make a note. Right? Let me let me just. <laughs> All right. Done. All right. But I do think looking at the Buell situation and understanding all the mistakes that were made there, and absolutely, you go back in time. I I'm if I'm the Keith Wendell at. Harley Davidson, the CEO at the time, I absolutely shut down Buell. Absolutely. Makes sense to me. I also get rid of MV Agusta. Had the recession not happened, though, there was a great opportunity there for Harley Davidson to expand its house of brands, to have Buell and let maybe Buell be more like an Eric Buell racing setup than a Buell motorcycles and let that have that its own evolution. And to have MV Agusta, I mean, it made perfect sense in terms of the buying potential of Harley Davidson buyers are the same kind of buyers that would buy an MV. Now, maybe they're not into the same kind of motorcycling that that sure. is, but their earning potential, the, the the cash that they have, it's the same buyer. And it's and I think both those brands 
complement each other. They're not going to cannibalize sales off of each other, especially if Buell is more down market and has more of a street bike uh, inventory and, and, and range of motorcycles. And then maybe MV's the more premium side of the sport bike side. Maybe those three brands live under the same roof very um, more easily, I should say. But at the end of the day, like I would rather cannibalize sales myself than have another company take my sales for me. So maybe I'm not that worried about it. And I think both of those situations have to be framed in the time that they occurred in and understand that those were right at the the start of the recession, yeah. that a lot of the decisions that Harley Davidson was making at that time were decisions to keep the main brand alive through the recession. I, you, you keep Buell and you keep MV and you keep the jobs at the factories that ended up getting closed and reduced in staff. There is no Harley Davidson today if you do that, period. Harley-Davidson circled the wagons around its core asset, which is the Harley-Davidson brand, which at the time was selling 300,000 bikes worldwide. And they did absolutely the thing you do. You protect your core asset because the other things, they're going to go away no matter what. They either go down with the entire ship or you cut them loose and let them go so the ship can stay upright. Now, fast forward to where we are now. I think Harley-Davidson's got some cash. They've got a lot of free cash in the reserves. They're seeing... The cruiser sales starting to taper off because of the baby boomers. We're seeing the writing on the wall. I think there's a lot of pressure from stockholders and a lot of pressure internally to be like, okay, how are you going to weather the next 10 to 20 to 30 years in the motorcycle industry when your core demographic is completely gone? And I think an investment in Alta makes sense. I think an investment in maybe some other brands makes sense. Um, Harley Davidson has an opportunity to be more than just the cruiser brand. And I don't think everything has to be branded on the Harley Davidson brand. In fact, I think you keep away from that. I think you let Alta be Alta. I think you let brand X be brand X and you fuel them with money and you fuel them with resources and you fuel them with purchasing power and you fuel them with financing and credit and all the tools that young, small companies need and be a toolbox for them. That's smart corporate development. That's the corporate development I signed up to do. Um, so we'll see, we'll see what happens. But I think in the short term, it's cash for you guys. It's an electric vehicle or two for them. It It's all good things in the short term. And we're going to see how the long term plays out. It'll be interesting to watch. Yeah, I'm super stoked, as you can imagine. That's, well, uh, yeah. I, 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 know, I know more, so I understand a little bit more about what's going on. More than a, a lot of the people that are already, there's a lot of... Uh, bench racing going on with oh no and then you know they bring up the the examples you just did and and those of us in the know know the nuances of what went down and how it's completely different than this or or they bring up the uh the other um example of bramo to polaris or something like that and that's just again it's not which wasn't really apples to apples no, either kumquats to pears man it's just a different deal um polaris bought bramo's electric business bramo continued to exist on as an electric powertrain provider. It's a little bit more complicated of a deal. Um, and then they try to wedge it into the Polaris brand. I don't think that ever really, or not the Polaris brand, the Victory brand. I don't think that ever really got the chance to be the next generation or the next iteration of that plan. Also, the Bramo was not a well-developed, well-sorted make sense product at that time it no, was a nearly not the, 20 not the impulse no. r that they were selling the no, impulse just, rr the the track bike i think that yeah it was if great, that had sure. gotten brought to market i think that would have been something of note it was a good looking bike it ran well made good power it was pretty well sorted as a track machine because it had a lot of development into it i don't know why that never came to fruition maybe that's just because victory didn't have enough life in it 
And maybe it comes back as a Polaris branded product or an Indian branded product. I don't know. I'm pretty sure Polaris is kind of done with the EV thing other than like they're making a sh- boat ton of quads and UTVs and stuff. That Shabot are using ton? Shabot ton. I was going to swear. And then I'm like, my mom like frowned on me in my head. And I was like, oh, sorry, mom. I swore a lot in the last show. <laughs> Fucking A. God damn it. Um, <laughs> All right. Let's move on before I get in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> you lose your job and have to go work for harley davidson uh quinn i've been so i brought back some toys uh i don't want to talk about them for too much but they're they're both of note for the same reason i have a senna momentum helmet that you're picking up right now uh, which is a little heavy i'm gonna here's like the 30 word review on this helmet not a good helmet love but i love where it takes us and so what it is it's it's henna's henna senna's own helmet with a built-in Senna headset. And it is exactly what it is. It retails for about $450. It is literally a $250 helmet with a $200, you know, a communications package built into it. And it has carbon look um oh, yeah. mechanism here. Those things are so crappy. The visor system's horrible. Oh no. There there's there are so many better helmets at the $450 price point. Yeah. And there's a lot of better helmets at the $250 price point than what's going on there. But what I do like is the fact that it's all integrated. It all works really seamlessly. It's not like the worst helmet. I think, truthfully, you're going to see me wearing that helmet a lot because I love being yeah. able to hear my music, listen to my map. I took a phone call on the way here. A uh, lady friend called me. She didn't even realize I was wearing a helmet and on my motorcycle while I was talking, yeah. so it handled the phone call really well. And like, I think one of my biggest pet peeves with these communication devices is just they're always bolt-on systems. They're always just not yeah. a refined, integrated system that this is. Now... My my excitement comes for what the next helmet is. The next helmet from Senna is called the Momentum INC, and that has an active noise cancellation built into the system, like like your like Bose headphones would yeah, have, sure. like if you wear them on the plane. And for someone as like me that is really worried about like their hearing huh? and, and wears earplugs every time they ride because I want to be able to hear things when I'm like 50 years old. Hear, hear think, what? 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 Sonny? I think that's a killer app for that. And truthfully, I'm glad this helmet comes out because it's going to push and prod other helmet brands to do the same thing. And companies that are much better at making helmets uh, can come out with a superior product and and hopefully have Senna help develop an integrated system. Because you, you, there's a couple brands that have like Senna products that can, they're more integrated than the ones that just kind of slap onto the side of the helmet. They're, sure. in the, they're built into the neck roll. And that gets us like 50% of the way there. This is a full-blown, fully integrated, really well-thought-out integration design. And I can't wait for Arai and Shoei and AGV and Bell and Schubert to have this level of integration of comms devices and speakers and microphones because I think that's rad. And the other thing I like is the the next helmet that's coming out, the INC, also has an integrated camera. Mm. For those GoPro hero kind of folks, vloggers and, and things like that. So it's good to see someone's out there at least looking at like the space and be like, hey, this is what the next level of tech should be in motorcycle helmets. No one's doing it. Um, so we're just going to do it ourselves. And Senna's kind of already kind of, I would say. They own the space. Risen to, to the that. top of the heap in terms of comm devices for My motorcyclists. My partner just bought for Valentine's Day uh, us a system because we've been riding a lot. And, um, it's become apparent that I'm, I'm a little bit fast when I drive through traffic. Yeah, you're kind of a jerk. Yeah. Right. So I'm, uh, 
uh, we're in need of a, hey, I'm going this way, or hey, I need you to slow down because I'm stuck behind tractor trailer one and two back here. Hey, right. And to have this and be say, hey, I'm going to turn, I'm going to get off at this exit or, hey, I have to pee or whatever the thing is. Of course, it's a, I'm preaching to the choir. Most motorcyclists understand that. I haven't owned one. I tried one once and it didn't work out that well because it was an older system. I can't remember what the, this was a couple of years ago. You know, and even in the last couple of years, they haven't really, I had one on the, the Harley Davidson, not the Harley Davidson. I got Harley on the brain on the Goldwing Don't launch. Yeah, uh, Senna gave us uh, everyone at the launch. We could use the Senna 30s mesh or whatever it is. Yeah, you could use it. You can keep the top it. of the line, newest thing out, and it's better than some of the stuff I've used in the past. But it still like drove me mildly insane because it's just it's not an integrated system. It's it's sitting on the side of my helmet. You get basically three buttons to do all these different complex things. So it's like combinations of buttons and well, holding so does them this. down. No, I only see three it buttons. It still on is. This. I mean, it's still it's still. Like, I don't love it. That's what I'm saying. Like, I don't love this product, but I love where it takes us. Okay. And I think at the end of the day, you're still going to see me wearing it a lot because the value of being able to hear my map, being able to take a phone call, being able to listen to music is going to rise it. Hear your map? Yeah, because I I don't know how to get around Portland to save my life. I always need an an app to get me there. Okay, fair enough. I mean, I know where to get to certain places. sauce, but, you know, I get it. You seem to have pretty good directional. I have great sense of direction, but I don't know where Portland's a nightmare. I don't know where shit is. No, Portland's not. And, and then like throw in like the traffic, like yep. so I need ways to get me around yeah, the crazy no, rush hour. This is a ways uh, intensive area. Yeah. Just because you know where to go doesn't mean that ways won't get you there a lot faster. Right. It's a notably good app for this sound. Right. So I can see where you would want to like, have that. Like today's a great example on the way back to get here because I was late to the podcast. I apologize, everyone. But a train, because because Portland, a yeah. train was coming through downtown during rush hour. So the way I was going to go. You're not trained well enough to uh, avoid the train. Uh, 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 oh, shut it. I hate you so much. <laughs> uh, Kodake looks at uh, you I'm with sorry disgust. To, I took this one off the tracks. Then it derailed me. <laughs> Should I tell everyone how you have a loose caboose? <laughs> Good. Nicely done. DJ Dan album, by the way. No one caught Loose Caboose. Loose Caboose. DJ DJ Dan. Dan very uh, 1990 San Francisco DJ. I, if, if you knew who he was, Loose Caboose would be a great reference. I think we know what uh, this this uh, podcast is going to open to. Oh, yeah. I got <laughs> I have a couple of his CDs, but I don't even know where they are. I don't even have a CD drive to, to rip it. I'm going to have to. CD's nuts. What? D's nuts. <laughs> Go taking it back to the 90s, right? Oh, man. All right, back uh, to it. Senna obviously <laughs> does a good job in, in general. I'm looking forward to being able to using it. And I had uh, Graham from Motocorsa. He he put it in because he's put a bunch of these systems in. And because he's done that, <clears throat> I had him put it in the Arai that I... Oh, the uh, Corsair. Yeah, the Corsair. Is it Corsair X? X? Um, th- that I chose. It was like, well, which one do I want to put it in? Well, the Corsair X is what I've been kind of bending towards to for street riding or for long distance riding it's a little bit more comfortable than everything else the only problem is the shield is really fucking to get it on off compared to the say the pista the pista is just such a really good helmet but i don't great know great track helmet it is okay street it's, it's helmet. just not as good of a yeah. street helmet so i figured yeah. you know what if i'm gonna have one of these i'm gonna do it this way i'm gonna put it in this one all right i i, I i'm so privileged to have to choose right, right. so 
Um, uh, I haven't. We have. We were just joking about Jet and I were just joking about having putting the helmets on in the house because we just both got them set and uh, you know calming while we're. Oh, talking you could be or, talking one room and the other. Yeah, that's, exactly. That's just to make sure it works okay, and make sure we get used to the functions. So seeing this with the functions right on the helmet, it's really interesting. It's smooth and integrated. The, the helmet isn't ugly. Um, Not ugly. The the visor system is actually the thing I have the most issue with. It's a really cheap visor. It has a huge bevel on it which has tons of distortion. It fogs up really, really easily. It just looks really cheap. has a pin lock, though. <laughs> has a pin lock. Didn't get a pin lock with it, so I'll have to find a pin lock. But yeah. I'm not stoked on that part of it. The rest of it is not bad. The materials are okay. It's, you know, it's like a C-plus helmet. Yeah. But having everything integrated, I really think, like, that's going to be something, especially when it's not cold out like it is today, yeah. where the fogging's not as much of an issue. Yeah. I could really see myself in it a lot. And it would look a lot better if it had a darker... Dark visor. Or a, a yeah. mirrored shield or something. Definitely but, looks distinctly BMW rider, uh, old, old gray hair level. It's got a great field of view through through yeah. the through the visor. Just distorted. <laughs> just, well, just it's distorted along all the edges, but at least it's a very big view screen for the rider, which I, I'm very sensitive to. I don't know. My big, again, like my big thing is I just love where this helmet takes us. And that kind of segue segues into the next thing I want to talk about, which is the, the Dainese D-Air jacket that I just got, which I like, like I give it a B plus. There's a lot of things I like about it, but I love this technology. I love that airbags are a thing. Now I literally was just telling someone the other day, I don't think I'm going to ride in gear that doesn't have an airbag from now on. Well, that's you said you bought this. Yeah, like, and this Paid, bought it with my hard-earned blogging dollars, not <laughs> not a freebie. And it's pretty heavy. It's heavy. It adds a lot of weight. There's a couple things with like the cabling that I'm not super stoked on. I'm, cabling. So if you look at the top of the jacket near the neck, there is a small power cable that connects the battery to the airbag. Uh, okay, cable. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> this is a brave, literally brave new world here. Cabling but, like, in your jacket. Yes. The, the wires are exposed. They're not wrapped. Like. 100% not weatherproof. I like I'm, these little magnets. I'm going, yeah, the magnet's what, what triggers it on and off. That oh, completes wow. the circuit. That's cool. Yeah. It's part of like with the zip up mechanism. There's yeah, a, you see how the light's flashing now? Yeah. And you yeah. connect it and it's it's part of the underlayer. It's kind right. of a neat thing. And it's a, one of those really nice, what is it? Neobdium, neobdium, neobdium. Rare earth. Rare, okay, good. Rare earth magnets. <laughs> um, but anyway, it's, it feels good. I like it. So there's a lot, yeah, there's a lot of things I like about it. There's a little bit of a, the canister is kind of in the lower of your back, the small canister? of your back. Is that the, the, the air? air How often do you have to have that checked for charge? Good question. Never, ever. I don't know. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. I mean, that, that's the thing. It takes us into this weird new space where I don't really know. Um, I know if you take it on an airplane, TSA is going to freak the fuck out. So make sure you check that in your luggage and don't bring it as carry-on. Learn that. Why? Because the, they the don't like way. having thousands of pounds of PSI uh, oh, man. canister on you your... You should have seen me. You should have seen me like, at, at PDX with TSA, like having like an hour-long conversation about it. Really? So is this your bag? I'm like, yeah, you're definitely going to look at that. Yeah, there's definitely stuff in there you're going to want to look at. I, so, I, I already know what you're uh, red flagging. And yeah, you definitely take it out of the bag. That's why it's in its own little thing. And they freaked out or? Yeah, I don't think I was supposed to be able to fly with that in the cabin, but I ended up talking my way on. Um, very reasonable conversation with them. They're, so the big issue for them is the compressed yeah, canister. Sure. And for them, their their SOP is the only thing that can have a compressed canister is a life jacket. 
Or an Olin shock because I've traveled with those a couple times. I, I think at that you know point what? They, they didn't know. I, yeah, I don't think they knew. That's the thing. But when they see like the <laughs> the little bottle with the hose on the X ray machine, yeah, but the, they frown the, on that. The, the ones that are, and I'm not even kidding. The the ones that are um, contained. You know, most Olin shocks now have the nitrogen canister as part of the shock body. Right. Some either have the remote reservoir, the remote. Right. Hydraulic adjuster is separate, but they've gone away from the uh, the nitrogen canister being remote, even though back in the day, that was the norm because the way bikes were built, it, you had a shock that didn't have a nitrogen canister and you would put one on aftermarket, right? And so most people that are listening to this podcast don't even know. It's weird to think about that. That's something like from the residual from the 90s, right? right. Uh, but even my ST2 had that where I had to find a place for the nitrogen canister. That would look gnarly and it has a braided hose and you know somebody could freak out about that. But the one that it's all contained, it's just a shock. And if you didn't know any better, you didn't know that there's extremely high pressure nitrogen gas in there and yeah. you know although it could go horribly wrong yeah um, and let alone a honda rs 125 engine that i took on an airplane in a backpack that was one of my best take on an <laughs> That's airplane pre tsa and no it wasn't it was the year it was exactly a year after 9 11 it was 2002 because i uh, it was one of the last races of the USGPRU season, and I was uh, using Vicky Jackson Bell's heater motor. It was a 48 horsepower, which is gnarly for a 125. Yeah. So 48 horsepower, heavy crank, six-bolt head, gnarly, gnarly engine, and it was legit, and it worked really well. But I And I was racing PIR. I actually had to fly here to Portland with that. And it, I went to the... I went to the um, to the airport with all the documentation and all the stuff. And there was, it was dry. There was nothing in it. And I thought I was going to have a nightmare. And the, really the biggest problem was that it was like 52 pounds. It yeah. wasn't 50. I was going to say you're 52. getting close to that weight limit. Thing. But that was so, they let me go. And then they let me take it through. Cause even though it looked, it had a gold anodized cylinder head with a spark plug hanging out the top. It looked like a bomb. It looked, you couldn't get like, if you use that as a prop in a movie to look like a bomb, it looked like a fucking bomb. It was amazing. Anyway, so that was really cool to be able to do that. And then well, carrying it on in a backpack on the airplane and then, you know, setting it down next to the person. Clunk, <laughs> and then <laughs> getting the look and I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, what's your problem? It's heavy, whatever. <laughs> I, got all my, I got all my stuff in my bag, man. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and then, since then, when I was at Graves, we would carry all kinds of shit in our in our luggage but most of that would be checked uh very rarely would we take on anything right as long but, as you're not doing what the paul bird um world superbike team was doing with their luggage drugs yeah they got nice caught, they caught cough drugs <laughs> <laughs> no this is like 10 years ago or whatever yeah for sure um it was found in their bus their bus yeah. had an unusual quantity of cocaine i believe i bet very nice well you got to keep everybody awake apparently you know Keep the racers speedy. When it's 3 a.m. and you're rebuilding an engine, you got to have productive little workers. And you laugh, but that was like the normal, apparently, in the late 80s, early oh, yeah. 90s, and motorcycle that was, that racing. Was, that was not just motorcycle racing. That's just the 80s. Yeah, there's just every, everything in general. Anybody that needed to burn the midnight oil were burning more than that. Yeah. Bump start meant something else back then. <laughs> I don't, <laughs> take a bump? Oh, I don't, I don't know the you know, terminology. You're, enough, sorry. You know, you're not enough cocaine. No. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I, I like a lot of things about this jacket. There's a couple things that are a little weird. I don't like where the canister sits in the small of your back. I don't like the way the wiring, you have to unplug it every time you store it. That's why I'm like guaranteed. I am going to break that cable at some point. Um, you have to unplug it anytime you store it. Yeah. Cause you only get about 24 hours of charge on the battery oh, and okay. it'll drain itself if you keep it plugged in 
and then that cycles the battery too deeply too many times. Okay, yeah, this thing hangs down. Yeah, on your, on not your... ideal. I wish the vest, I wish the airbag vest was interchangeable. So I'm going to get another D-Air jacket as well, and it's going to have its own thing built into it. And it'd be nice to see them interchangeable like Alpine Stars is doing. But I like where this is taking the industry. I like that Dainese and Alpine Stars kind of have this little rivalry, and they're both kind of one up in the other, kind of each iteration that they bring out. It's good for the space. Competition's improving the breed. And I look at other brands that don't have airbags, and I just say, you're irrelevant. Why would I wear your your jacket when this one is going to protect me so much better than well, if you can, than if you can afford it, do. right? I mean, a lot of people. Mark it's for, very expensive. This was about two grand, eighteen hundred, I think. Yeah, so that that keeps um, a lot of people from wearing something like what's that. What's your deductible on your health insurance policy, Quentin? <laughs> I don't know. I it's probably more than what that jacket costs. Yeah. I know what it is for me. Um, That's a good selling point. I guess. A, I mean, that that sure. for me, like, it's it's a no brainer. Like, it is very expensive, but I look at. I buy and sell bikes every few years. I'm one of those guys. But gear, I, I, I am still wearing gear that I bought when I started as a motorcyclist. Yeah. You know, now I have the the luxury of being a journalist and getting a lot of stuff for free. And I've got sure. more helmets than I can count. I've got like half a dozen jackets and pants from all sorts of different places. Yeah, sure. So I can rotate the stuff through. But I, every now and then you'll see me wearing like OG your, your original go-to stuff. Go-to stuff. Same yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, so like gear you keep for a long time, investing in good gear, I think is very smart. I would rather see people invest in good gear and, and knowing that like their bikes are going to cycle through as they go through the development. But like for new riders, I really think buy a good helmet, buy a good jacket, yeah. buy good gloves, yeah. buy good boots. You really should buy good pants, but I'll let you get away with some of a good pair of jeans, but invest in your gear, invest in your safety because your first bike you're going to have for a couple of years. The next bike you after that, you're going to have for a couple of years. And you you're will- going to go through some bikes over the course of your motorcycling career, but you will probably wear the same gear for at least a decade or longer. That's my pitch. Um, and, and also, no, the price is going to come down. The technology is going to get more refined. The pricing is going to come down. That's where, that's where I say both these pieces, I think, uh, the Sena Momentum Helmet and the Dionysia D'Air jacket. Um, it's the Masano jacket. Both of them are taking us into a new evolution of where motorcycle apparel, motorcycle gear needs to be. And they're both not quite where we want them to be yet, but they're taking us down that road and they're getting us closer. And the next iteration is going to be better. And the next iteration after that's going to be even better. And then, you know, eventually this is hopefully going to become like a commodity kind of item for us where, yeah, every, every jacket's got an airbag. Every helmet has a, a built in, like every helmet basically is a cell phone. Like, you know, whatever that sure. progression is. Yeah. I like it. I like it. I'm all about it. Um, and, I, and, a, and a good segue is I wore that jacket on the Triumph Speed Triple RS launch, which I just got back from. Ars. Ars. Uh, Tell us about that. The rain in Spain, Quentin. Yeah. The rain in Spain. So a good thing you had a protective jacket, or was that good in the rain? It wasn't bad. I mean, it That's definitely... It's a leather jacket, so it's, it's not... It's a leather jacket. It's not perforated, thankfully. Yeah. But I wasn't cold, and it didn't rain. Like, I wasn't suck, stopping wet. But we did a street ride and we did a track ride. So having a two-piece zip together airbag safety thing with knee pucks was great. I was stoked on the on the kit for that. Awesome. And the speed triple, the speed triple is a rad bike. I don't think we can call it a street fighter though. And and you have to understand, like, I think you're like me. The street fighter segment is my favorite segment in the motorcycle industry. I love the super naked, it's comfortable. 
So it's not quite like a super bike, but you can still track it, but you could also do canyon riding on it. You could probably do some trips on it. You can do some longer distance riding. It's a good street bike. Like for me, that's if I had to buy one bike, it's probably going to be some sort of street fighter machine. No, I can't argue with that. I, I wouldn't say it's my favorite. I mean, I had one uh, Ducati street fighter for a long time. I do love it. Well, I actually shoot, still have the 848 version. Haven't ridden in years, but, um, yeah, that's good, and I can see why you would you would hold that to be. And I joked in one of the last shows that the 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 Triumph Speed Triple was the original copy of a Street Fighter yeah. that made it to production. It's the and original it's production Street Fighter, a little bit, and it, it's gotten to just be more of a standard motorcycle. Right? It hasn't aged well, and I think I said this in my review. It hasn't they, aged well, or it's aged incredibly well. Well, I, I took I took a Quintanism actually, and I, and I said Punk is dad. <laughs> this used to be this used yeah. to be the badass yeah. bike, like the punk. Yeah. I mean, Street Fighters didn't really come out during the punk scene, but I kind of equate them to it. Where it's like this is the alternative to the yeah the UJ the UJM the the standard what yeah. we call we called a street naked or a sure. standard model. And really, what it was was uh, somebody that had just enough money to buy a crotch rocket crashes it, can't afford to put it back together. Especially There's the variant, very punk to yeah. just say fuck it flat black it or just rip or mishmash off. the shit out of yeah. it take off all the parts that they don't need and then you've got this distilled essential bike and, right. the, and then and try is, and make it look cool and tough and this right? was very something that was happening in the british market triumph's yeah, home sure. ground so triumph was just like hey let's let's do that let's 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 make a production version of that and the speed triple was born um i was trying to see if i could pick out what time when the speed triple came out i want to say like 95 96 the original model oh but, yeah the big one yeah there was the original speed triple with the single headlight right which was kind of mad but then it got into that double headlight, double and that's headlight. Where this i'm pretty sure that's 97 from. or 98 but yeah that's where the i'd have to dig through my notes and I don't yeah want it's to. been a while for sure but i think i think the segment has progressed and moved on and the speed triple really hasn't like i would say like now it's a really good roadster this is a bike I think that compares better. What do you call a roadster? Explain. Right, exactly. It's just standard motorcycle. Standard, uh, like a more sporty version of a standard, but not quite a street fighter. Okay, I would say it competes with the Monster 1200R and maybe the BMW yeah. S1000R. But I would take the Tuono and the KTM and put those in a different category. And I would take a lot of the stuff the Japanese have been doing and put that in a different category. And so. I think when you go in with that mindset, like it's, it's not a raw machine. It's very smooth. It's very refined. It's not really a machine that lends itself to getting, you know, the rear wheel locked up and sliding through the corner, doing a fat wheelie. Like the electronics aren't really that robust. It has an IMU. The RS model has an IMU for the traction control in the corner. Which is ABS. what you rode. You rode the RS Rest. version. Correct. There's still going to be an, there's an S model S and then right. goes to RS. Okay. Right. Um, 148 horsepower, 86 pound-feet of torque. It's very smooth, very lean. It's a triple, right? So yeah. It's a triple. So it acts like a triple. But it isn't was a lot... It, isn't it, was, it called a speed triple? Well, you never know with marketing these days. It's also... Um, it just seemed like it was redundant that you had to keep saying it was a triple. Well... Because it's a speed triple, right? I mean, the truth in... The, I, I think <laughs> of some other brands and the things that they say, like like a Panigale 1299... Isn't 1,299cc displacement. True. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, sure. I'm looking at the KTM Super Duke 1290. That's a 1301. The Tuono 1100, yep. that's a 1077. Yeah, well, you'd hope. So, triple means triple, though. I mean, so. you hope so. Okay, yeah, sure. You, yeah, you know, so. and this is the, 
the there was the street four and then there was a street triple and those were the 600 ish variants I remember when the Street 4 came out, it was a bit confusing because it looked a little bit like the Street Triple, Speed Triple. Then you have Street Triple, right? right. So there's a bit, a bit of a confusing way. That, uh, I'm not going to say their naming structure is the best, but I get it. It's all right, Street confusing. Triple RS. Speed Triple. Speed, fuck. <laughs> yeah, gets me. All right, okay. Uh, Yeah, I liked it. It's a good bike. It is exactly what it is. It is the old model with a little bit more horsepower and a little bit less weight. And electronics. It's that same kind of refined speed triple. Speed triple's always been a good bike. It just has never been at the pointy end. And it's no different here. Um, now in the RS version. 16,350 is the MSRP, which I think is okay. It kind of brings it in price-wise between the Aprilia and the BMW, which I think is where it kind of sits feature-wise. Yeah. My biggest complaint is the electronics are it's got all the IMU whammy bammy, but only in name, really. Everything is tied into the riding mode. So it's got rain mode, street mode, sport mode, and track mode. And you change the riding mode, and that changes all the settings for all the other things. You can't really go in and be like, oh, I want level five traction control instead of level four. You have to go in, like, you can set up your own user riding mode. But like your traction control settings are literally rain, street, sport, and track. There isn't like level one, level eight, yeah. level six. Yeah. So that kind of was a bummer. So even in sport mode, when we're on the street and we're ripping and I come over a crest and I whack the throttle to give it a little wheelie, traction control's like, nope, not going to do that to you, sir. And you're like, oh, why not? Oh, because I'm not in track mode? And you have to stop and set up track mode and this whole thing. Can you customize within the modes? I didn't quite understand. No, no. Okay. Within the modes, you're there you're, is a rider mode that is completely custom. Okay. But again, you only really have like three or four levels of customization. Okay. Yeah. When you're in speed or sport mode, you are stuck with all the parameters that Triumph has come up with. Got it. And when you're in raid mode, you're stuck with the same and thing. And this is opposed to what I'm used to on the Ducati side, which is you can take any one of the modes, whether it's wet or race or whatever, and completely screwed up all the around. way to go right. to make it its own thing. Right. Sure. That's um, how I made the Terra Corsa. Even though the, there was no enduro mode on a on a Panigale, <laughs> I just made an enduro mode yeah, for it. Right? And I got the same thing on my Hyper, where my three maps are very yeah. different than what came from the factory. I just wish there was more granular control. I wish I could control my wheelie control. I wish I could have more granular control over what tr- what the traction control was doing. I could have used a lot less track, a lot less traction control in the sport mode. It was just way too much of a nanny for me. And then we got to the track. Well, wait, you're saying you want granular. Is that, doesn't that mean like granmolular, gran, granular, like granny, nanny state? To, I see what you're trying to do there. Granny state? Yeah. The gra- granular? Granular. Granny? <laughs> granny mode? I don't think there was a granny mode. <laughs> but we did get a bit of rain, so we got to use the rain mode. That worked. Unfortunately, it rained during our track time. So we really only got one track session, and I would say all of us were out there doing 75, 80%. Yeah. Which was really unfortunate. I was really looking forward to riding the bike on the you track. You wanted to give it the beans. I wanted to give it the beans. I really was looking forward to riding Almeria and uh, didn't really get to do that. But the few Was laps, she not there? <laughs> the few laps that we did, it felt really good. I think we could have had a really fun day. Like That's where I come back to this bike where I'm like, you know what? It's not the sharpest tool in the box. It's not the sharpest bike in the segment, but it's really good. Yeah. And I think for the people that kind of remember what the speed triple used to be, 
I think this is this is a refinement of that. And it's if you don't want a Super Duke, if you don't want a Tuono, you don't like the way those bikes look, or if you're not looking sure. for that dank wooly style, bro. I think this is a great package. And it's priced aggressively in that space. So how much would the I'm sorry, I'm gonna forget. Is the MT ten, is that what they're calling yes. it now? The Yamaha, what well, used to be a FZ10. FZ10 is now an empty. Okay. So how much was one of those things all dudded up if they make a dudded up version? That is 13,000 base. And I don't think there are that many options. No, I didn't think so. Because I was just looking at one of those today in a shop that we were just setting up. Good bike. Yeah. And it, I, I, I got to ride it at uh, Deals Gap, the Dragon. I remember. And you, you just, the only thing that you didn't like was the, was the brakes sucked. And that yeah. was about it. And they didn't really even suck. They just weren't as good as an R1. Right. Right. I'm looking at him in the dealership, and it's just like uh, really ugly to me. It's but, a super ugly bike. But you know, it's similar. Like, okay, if somebody's on the Japanese side, they were looking to get into Euro brand or something with a little bit more style or finesse or nuance. Sounds like this is close. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I think I would never begrudge someone for buying one of these bikes. I would totally get it. Like, yeah, I know exactly where you got the bike. Good yeah, sure, bike. Sure. You're gonna enjoy that bike. Yeah. Is it the best bike? Is it the bike I'm gonna buy? Probably not. But good bike. Yeah, I think that's where I came out on it. Um, sure. Which is hard to like kind of emote in a review. I think I got a couple of people like, man, Jensen, you're being really poopy about it. I'm like, well, it's because the Tuono and the KTM are so good. They're so good and they do so many things so well and they just do it better than the Triumph does. But they're also brand new bikes. The Triumph, I mean, this is a harsh generalization, but it seems like the Triumph ridership tends to get a, a there's a lot of butt hurt going on there for some reason there's i don't know if it's a chip on the shoulder the stiff upper lip comes with a chip i don't know something weird about it. like yeah i don't know do you notice when you're when you write and you're over the years is there a certain segment that talks more crap is it the, the whining ducati people is it the the poopy bmw people or is it everybody anytime you attack a bike no matter what you're gonna get hate mail or yeah. frustration i think that's the bigger thing i think i think it's how much of a cult following does that particular brand or that particular yeah. model have like it's the same thing like when we talk about buell and i always get the buellistas that show up <laughs> and they just bleed eric you know you know just put them on yeah, a cross yeah. Yeah. And it's like, well, and that's why I say like, no, I'm just getting real. Like if you are objective and you look at that company and you look at what Eric has done and all those things, like not to take away like the personal achievement that comes with that because he's done something that 99.9% of people don't even attempt, let alone, you know, get into the realm of. But if you want to be objective about like the, the actual things that were achieved and the actual things that were designed and the actual things that were built, not very good. But a loyal cult following of people drag themselves through the mud for that brand and they love it. And their Ulysses or their 1190 or whatever bike that they end up having is like, that's their jam. And you just called their baby ugly. And they, you know, if you're yeah, really, sure. if you're really devoted to a brand, that's a hard thing to take. And it's the same thing. Like, I think the Speed Triple has a, has a real diehard yeah. following, maybe I not dual right. status, but it has its own cult following. It's the same thing. The VFR crowd, it's the same thing with the Ducatistas. It's the same thing with the people that own um, two-stroke dirt bikes. And, you know, like you can see like these little fiefdoms of of fandom. It's tribalism. It is. It's tribalism. It's It's the same with tribalism that we deal with every day. It's the same thing. And I'm as guilty of it as the next, but it's also fun to poke 
at a, each one of the tribes, especially when you know which which yeah. thing gets the the tribes going. Yeah. Now that's when the people come out of the woodwork, and and there is a little bit of people with the speed triple, and but you know what? This is a bike that's basically the kind of the same bike for the last decade or so, and now just Triumph has finally put enough technology and upgraded it just enough to keep it relevant again. That's why, like, I think that's where it comes down. Like, it's a good bike. If you got one, I would understand it because it's relevant again. If you had bought one last year, I'd be like, really? Did did you not see the BMW? Did you not see the Yamaha? Did yeah. you not see the Aprilia? Did you not see that? You must really, really want a speed triple and have a three-cylinder engine and that that shtick to pass up all these other fantastic bikes. In this yeah. Bike. Now, fair enough. Now you're like, okay, I get it. You're a Triumph fan and not, you want not that? Not for me, but I get yeah, it. Okay. I understand that. All right. How's fair, this, fair play to you. How's service on these things? Do they talk about that during the... Do, does anybody ever say anything about service intervals? Nobody gives a shit any longer, do they? Not really. I mean, every, every, I'd have to go look up what the actual service interval is, All but right. I, I can almost say with confidence that it's probably long enough that it's really not making a difference. Yeah, for sure. What about... Uh, I think Ducati was the last brand that really had a. Well, they have to. They have to constantly because they had a six thousand mile service. Right, interval. that's what I mean. Like they as were the last brand that was like two thousand. You, had to you care still about had it. bikes that had six thousand mile service intervals, which is a freak out, uh, especially when it's a thousand bucks. So, what about warranty? Is it this two years or one year? I don't even know anything about Triumph. So I assume it's. Trying to look years. it up. I mean, Triumph site's so fucking hard to navigate. <laughs> just hate it. And they just redesigned triumphant. it, and they actually made it worse. <laughs> Like, how'd you do that? <laughs> I'm impressed that you made it worse. All right. I just figured maybe it was worth asking if, if it was brought up in the thing or if you paid attention to no, it. No, like, seriously, it was so funny. Like, we, we had two briefings, which usually you just have one. And the first briefing was literally like, okay, guys, we're going to go ride a motorcycle. Here are your grips. Let's go. And the second briefing was, okay, here's, um like, four things you should probably know about this bike. Let's get on the track. Let's go on the track. Let's go do the track. They Not just want of, you to. They they were like, "This is experiential. You don't need to do anything other than get out there and do the thing." Just dank woolly, bro. So that's okay. We don't need to dig any deeper into that. Yeah, what else? it's one of those bikes. I kind of like want one to end up in my garage for a little while so I can ride it somewhere. I enjoyed it. I I I don't think I got everything in that experience out of my system. Okay. So that that bodes well. Um, moving right along, I had a couple days home and then went on another Triumph trip. I went out to Moab and rode the Tiger 800 XCA. Hey, hey, adventure. I actually don't know what the A stands for, to be honest. <laughs> Triumph, Triumphs, like what they've done with the Tiger line in terms of like the different variations, because like each model, there's an 800 and there's a 1200. Each model has like six or seven variations. There's the XC, which is off-road. There's the XR, which is on-road. And then those have like a XCA, XCX, XCT, XRA. And you're just like, oh my gosh. It's an alphabet soup that only Aprilia could appreciate. <laughs> so I Yeah, was but the- a lot of manufacturers are doing stuff like BMW has a few of those where they have v- different iterations of each thing to suit, you know, rotor dirt or a rotor quasi offer yeah you can get you can get the you're right no one does it better than triumph does though in terms of sheer number of volume okay got it so, so you're on the xca which is the off-road version 21 inch front wheel and the a means that it has all the bells and whistles on it so i had skid plate and the fog lamps and the heated seat How and the heated the grips the tank is so big that I have to look it up online. That's a critical thing with one of these bikes. Everybody's like, how far can I go? Right? You can go as far as you can go 
Just be quiet. Be quiet so that you can fast forward through it. Well, I'm glad you asked that, Quince, because I have that <laughs> number right here on the top of my head because it's a 19-liter tank, which, if you're not very good with your metric to imperial conversions, is about Four. five gallons on the nose. Five? Okay. Not bad. No. For a okay. little 800 Yeah, it's triple. not huge. It doesn't come across. So in the adventure realm, anytime you put an A, I would assume adventure, but if that's not the case, what I see in BMW and KTM landers, when they call a bike an adventure, and in Ducati realm, they call it an enduro, they put on this massive tank like 10 8 to 10 gallons and that's great if you are one of those people that likes to go cross country but off-road fuck every single ounce of that fuel right it's horrible and it's not like it's what's the point it just makes the bike bulkier You're and just bigger making it more top heavy right and, and maybe some of the tanks are actually designed quite well to carry the fuel low in the you know at the beginning and then uh, if you're going for a big long journey you'd fill it all the way up to the top but you're wise to never fill those things up because it makes the bikes unwieldy is this bike's frame the same as it has been what what's different about this thing <laughs> that's a good question uh i i love trying like drive in their kind of modern sport bike class of, of motorcycles speed triple street triple tiger 800 tiger 1200 none of those bikes have really been updated or none of those bikes are new. Yeah. All those bikes have basically been updated in the last year or so. Sure. So I love when they're like, the new Tiger 800, it has over 200 changes. And you're like, uh-huh. There's, so the uh, five mil hex bolt, that's now like, what, a six mil? Cool. That's that one change or is that five? Because there's five of them. Yeah. It's basically the same bike. It's them okay. taking the Tiger 800, making some some minor tweaks here and there. And putting a, a more robust electronics package, the five-inch TFT dash, which is the same dash that's on the Speed Triple, which is the same dash that's on the Street Triple, which is the same dash that's on the twelve hundred. Although I think the twelve hundred has a different interface design, but I mean it, it's it's a model refresh. It's a true model refresh. We're like, hey, we're trotting out the same old bike. We've made a couple changes. Um, enjoy. I think where I get kind of poopy about it for the Speed Triple, where I really wanted something new. The Tiger 800, I think it makes more sense because I think the Tiger it was already pretty robust. It already kind of well. best in class, yeah. to be honest. When you look at that mid-range, that thirteen to fourteen thousand dollar price point in the adventure category, when you look at what bikes have a twenty-one inch front wheel, there aren't that many bikes. And I would say the only one that really gives it a run for the money is the Africa Twin. And I don't think if you're if you want to just be off road, if you want to just live in the desert and live in the mountains and do the thing. Africa Twin with the DCT all day long. If you ever want to go on the road, I hate that bike on road. It just isn't a good street bike. And I think that's where the Tiger really shines, where it's not as good off-road, but it's pretty damn good. And it's pretty dang good on-road. Like, that's the all-rounder for me. That's the true adventure bike where I'm going to go pound 800 miles uh, of tarmac, go down a gravel road, and then go down the gnarly trails and do the things and have the fun and go have that campsite right by the river that no one else has ever been to before. Yep. That's probably the bike I'm taking because it does all the things pretty darn well. Whereas the Africa Twin does off-road really, really, really well and does street riding kind of meh. And then the other bikes in that category, um, the F800GS was just real poopy. F850GS that's coming out that we haven't had a chance to ride has the potential of being quite good. I kind of reserve my judgment until I ride it. And then and they're not bad bikes. It's just the engine is the the soulless, soulless uh, 
engine and and I've ever ridden. It's horrible, but yeah. in general, they actually have a, a fairly capable chassis, right? They have they should be close. It'd be interesting to ride those back to back. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting category. KTM ten ninety. Um, what about can we even put the Ducati nine hundred and fifty in this now? Not really. I mean, it's a nineteen inch front wheel. Um, it's not quite apples yeah. to apples. Yeah, got it. I okay. wouldn't probably. So I went down Moab. We went down the. Oh crap! What trail is that? Nothing that great. the The top, the pass is Hurrah Pass, and then we went into the valley. Hurrah! And as you go into the valley, it gets more and more and more technical. And we went through like a lot of sand wash and a lot of rocky stuff, and it was good. I would probably turn the Ducati nine fifty uh multistrada around at the top of hurrah pass and that's all basically just gravel road up to there with a couple little so you're saying it could make it to there but not i wouldn't further? really want to go much further not really, really. not really because like, you, you considering what you've done on your hyper or what i do on my multi mm-hmm. you do it you could totally do it i could do it i've done i've truthfully i've done almost the entire route that i did on the tiger i've done on a gs and a super tenere with street tires you can do it you can drive your car with your feet. Yeah. It just I, doesn't make it a good idea. It just wouldn't be the tool that I would pick for that, for that, that use case. Okay. Fair enough. Um, I like having the 21 inch wheel, I like having the knobbies on it. I like having the skid plate and all the things. Um, so this was, was this like two track roads? So it's interesting how it starts, right? So it starts out as a paved road and then turns into kind of like a fire, fire road, gravel road. And then it turns into like this, non-maintained gravel road where you'll get like kind of rock steps and you can start yeah. seeing the the slick rock popping through and then it turns into really gnarly kind of rutted and rocky you know full width road and then it just it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse as you go and then eventually you're going up you know steps that are six inches and then steps that are a foot and then you like kind of get into like this rutted you know washed out riverbed silty single track kind of stuff and it just like truthfully like the road that we were on like the further you keep going the more shitty it gets and it's when you want to turn around and did you guys turn around or did you guys keep going through yeah we turned around around four o'clock when we were like realizing that we're running out of sunlight Mm -hmm. um but we've gone through we went through some crap we went through some river crossings and it was you know sand Uh, you know felt like i got like a pretty good adventure out of it i got all the all the moab on my legs and everything and the Tiger's great. Like I think it's a great off-road bike. The only criticism I really have is I don't know if a three-cylinder bike makes a lot of sense in an off-road application just because there is something to single-cylinder and twin-cylinder designs with the power pulses and the weight of the cranks and how they deliver their power that, that lends itself to being better for off-road use. Or the triple, like, it was so linear and so smooth on the speed triple. That's what made it a great street bike, but like, it's not really a great off-road bike. If that makes sense. And I really could have used at least maybe more, more weight in the crank or more weight in the flywheel because it really felt like I was on a street bike trying to make it work clutch wise and yeah, revving a lot. Yeah. And it wouldn't, it wouldn't really maintain the engine speed. Yeah. Huh. Um, that would be my biggest criticism of that total package. Otherwise I really liked it. I was really all about it. Uh, it's almost 16 grand. So it's kind of like the most expensive one in the class, which is kind of like, uh, I don't know. But again, like if I had to pick like just one bike to have in the garage to kind of do all the things, that would be something I look at. Hmm. Yeah. I was pretty impressed. I was pretty impressed on where it could go and what it could do. 
Dash was good. Dash changing was through the modes, okay. See, that's where the modes make a lot more sense to me. We're not needing to be like, oh, I need traction control level three. Yeah, sure. Now we had a lot of like kind of electrical issues um, on the bike that I was on, and I don't know if that was just that model. All these bikes were like zero mile bikes. I actually piggybacked off a dealer event, so some of that might have just been kind of like early model gremlin stuff. Uh, I'm kind of like willing to give a pass on, uh, yeah. but. It happened, so I want to be be clear about it. One of the interesting things was, so there's a off-road mode, and there's an off-road pro mode. And the off-road pro is like where it turns off the ABS, yep. and it's a, there's no traction control. It's yep. basically just ripping and tearing. Whereas the off-road mode has a traction control, and it's ABS, front wheel, locking up the rear wheel. And like the traction control on that just, like we went over some washboard stuff, and the traction control freaked out. And then the traction control threw an air and then the traction control just turned itself off. And it did that multiple times. And I was just like, huh, that's weird. I don't know what that issue is, but could have been a fucked up sensor. You could know, have been, could have been you a, know, there's too many different things, a lot right? Of things. And if that's the case, that's a really bad deal. But you know, whatever, I guess just that's one of the things where I'd be like, uh, you're going to take care of me on warranty. So yep. I'm not that worried about it. Like that wouldn't be like sure. a deal breaker for me. It's, no. it's of note. Hopefully triumph is working on it. Hopefully that was just our, our bikes with our day and our thing. It was um, it on more than one bike. Yeah. It happened on the other bike that was, that was out there too. Oh, weird. Um, how many people were in the group? It was just me and, and a handler. You and a handler a handler. That's it. No one, no one wants to let me out of their site. Huh? Yeah. It was just, it was just me and him. Cause we were, we got there a day before they were doing their dealer training, you know, launch thing. So oh. we were just kind of scouting routes. And then there was a couple of guys doing media stuff for, for a Triumph Okay, video. so this wasn't a full-on press, press thing? Right. This was just Triumph saying, hey, we Tri- should get Triumph A&R a sport. to be A and D. Um, so yeah, it was a lot of fun. Well, I, I like the Tiger 800. It was supposed to get on the 1200, but but couldn't um, just because we ran out of time basically. But I mean, I got a full day of riding on the 800. So I was, pretty, cool. I was pretty stoked on it. Yeah. As you should. I saw one picture. I think it was a panorama shot. It looked like it was pretty. Makes me want to go. Yeah. We need to go to Moab sometime. Moab is gorgeous. If no one's, if, if you're listening to the podcast and you haven't been to Moab, put it on your list. I've never been. It is. There's so many great trails to do like this exact kind of thing. Yeah. There's so many great roads in Southern Utah and, and in the area around Moab that having a, a, a bike that can do good street riding is is worth it. And then there's so many off-road trails where you can go on an adventure bike. You can go on like a heavier dirt bike, a heavier enduro, heavier dual sport, and still have a lot of fun and do the thing and rip in the tear. It's perfect for it. This is this is this is the environment these bikes were made for. Sure. Which is probably why I've had like three launches there for adventure bikes. Yeah. Um and weather in general. The like, weather's and the scenery's gorgeous and the rocks yeah. are amazing and the red. Yeah, and, sure. You can do all the things. Great pictures. The Colorado River is amazing. Everything about it is awesome. And the people are super friendly. It's a town that is like literally centered around catering to people that are out there doing dirt bikes, that are out there doing mountain bikes, that are out there doing side by sides and rock climbing and hang gliding and skydiving, like all these adventure outdoorsy focused people. So there's a good vibe. It's a cool active area. Everyone's pretty positive about it. Never, no issues. So I like it. I like it a lot. Right on. That's all I got. What have you been up to? <laughs> <laughs> not a lot. Not not compared to you. So unfortunately, I don't have a uh, a lot of stories to tell, as you can imagine. The, uh, the things that we were talking about earlier relative to HD um, have 
uh, created a lot of, uh, I don't know, excitement and, and energy. And we're putting on a lot of dealers. We're selling a lot of motorcycles. They just announced the, the, I think you talked about it on the last show where we had different pricing and the MXR is out. Oh yeah. Tell you, you sent uh, Carlin down to the MXR yeah, launch. I was going to yeah. say, I, I didn't go to a press launch uh, because of my, my subpar dirt skills because it's called asphalt and rubber for a reason. Yeah. Uh, the Alta Redshift MXR launch was like two days after I got back from Moab and I was beat. And more importantly, it, it wouldn't have been right for me to go to that one. So I called up my buddy, Carlin Dunn. Maybe you heard of him. He's kind of the fastest guy ever up Mount Pikes Peak on a motorcycle. Um, pretty fast dude. Likes to rip and tear off-road as well. So I sent him down to the MXR launch. And um, hopefully getting the review from him. If I check my email right now, it's probably sitting in my email box. Uh-oh. Oh, there it is. Literally like 30 minutes ago. That's Send awesome. As we were podcasting, yeah, he threw it out there. What, what do you say and if you here? don't know Carlin from Pikes Peak, also um, Dust 2, Glory number yeah. 2. Yeah. He's featured heavily in that. Oh, yeah. I totally as, forgot about that. Right? Baja. So there is like, well, he, no, he's not a super cross racer, but he's a heavy duty, really a lot of trials. He rides a lot, of, a trials lot of trials up, trials. up in San, Santa Barbara, before, but then does this. Before I would say he became famous for his motorcycle skills he was actually like a, a downhill, downhill mountain, bike. mountain biker guy yeah. until he had a pretty big off i, think I never that, really heard why he stopped but bicycles are painful yeah i think it was i think it was the bicycle things were painful and it was just easier to do motorcycle stuff sure and if you're ever in santa barbara and you have a hankering for a ducati you should go to ducati santa barbara and chances are you might run into carlin there more likely than not carlin's a cool dude tell him we sent you He'll yeah. he'll set you up real nice. The, the strip club's just next door. Is it really? Spearmint Rhino is like just a stone's Seriously? throw away. Yeah, huh. that's funny. Um, but uh, yeah, I, for, I totally forgot the dust to dust to glory. Sure. And what was it? He's done Baja two fifty and five hundred solo. The, the San Felipe two fifty and, and the Baja quite well yeah. at it too. That's no, what the Dust of Glory is, yeah. is showing and it's gnarly. So for him to go uh rip and tear as he would and send it as he did is good. It was good to good to know that he uh was there for you. Yeah. So um I did get his his high level notes we talked the other night. He was really impressed with the bike. Um Especially with the MXR versus the MX. I mean, I think he liked the price point on the MX, the drop sure, there sure. for the, the performance parity. But, you know, he sent it for like 30 minutes straight, 100% to zero yeah. on the battery. And it was like, hey, no issues with heat, no issues whatsoever. Yep. The thing rips. The price point's good. You know, 30-minute moto is not too shabby. And if you've got the, the means to charge it in between your motos... And it can do it. The MXR can do that. Whereas if the uh, the MX gets hot, it'll charge, but it'll be slow because yeah. it's hot. Well, the MXR doesn't give any shits. Yeah. It just charges it, it up. It ran out of Fox, basically. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's good. It should be the MXF, right? Yeah, the MXF. <laughs> that would have been great. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah. I mean, for him to say that, you know, and I, I liked it too that he went instead of me because as I said, like, Maybe I'm a little too close to Alta sometimes to have someone that's yeah doesn't have any baggage and sure. is just hey I'm looking to rip and tear and does yep. this do the thing he had a lot of a lot of praise so I'm really curious to see what his and also another interesting aspect to him is he was the fastest electric motorcycle up the hill right. in what 2011 12 or 13 something, something like, like that. that he was on the lightning 
He was on he was on a light. So he has experience with electric vehicles at a high level and understands yeah. Yeah. the nuances of an electric vehicle. So yeah. that's cool. Yeah, no, I was stoked. He was the perfect guy to send to that launch and um look for his review. It's probably already out on Asphalt and Rubber since I just got it. He now. was pretty excited. I sent, you know, he, he sends out a, an Instagram story and I respond with a little electric little zap thing, right? And he sent back like immediately. He was like, "Dude, this thing's rad," and was was into it more than I expected. He doesn't impress. You can't impress Carlin that easily with a motorcycle. He's seen it all. He's done it all. He's right. He's one of those types of people that kind of can kind of be like, "Eh, well, whatever. It goes fast. It's fine." But he was pretty stoked. So I was, yeah. I was, I was happy. It made me proud to be part of the thing. So. He's the kind of guy. Like I think for your guys's company, you get him. If you can turn his opinion, if you can impress someone like him and 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 those cohorts, that for me is the value. That's that's the thing because you get those kind of people that know the difference between good and bad, that know that can ride it, you know, things at eleven, you know, crank it up to eleven, yeah, sure. and it comes back and like, yep, that does the thing. That's rad. Air forks, rad. Yeah, you know, twenty, you know, does the thing, does the jumps, extra power, good, all the things. I can do it. It feels right. like a works two fifty. Awesome. That's the way we wanted to hear it. And that's what we've been hearing. So he and I were talking and he was like, you know, you go out and you buy like a Husky. What is it? The the Rockstar Husky yeah. version. And you go and ride that for a season and you're going to have to rebuild the motor. How many times? It's like, that's the Alta. That's the price of the Alta. That's where the difference is. Where it's like one year of, of, of riding hard and having to do, then do the rebuild. Now you've, you've already broken even on the cost. Because now the parity with that pricing is, is so you good. You sound like such a good corporate shill. I'm a good corporate shill. I mean, I'm sitting here <laughs> like you've talking to Christian. <laughs> I'm getting 10%, right? <laughs> All, every sale I generate, you guys are keeping track. Is there a tally in the home office? Bikes, tents, and sold. Cha-ching. Because I haven't gotten my check yet. <laughs> uh, who do I talk to about this? No, but that's that's the thing. That's electrics in general. That's, I know. I'm, nobody I'm, I'm, nobody I'm a gets it. I believe in the drivetrain. I, I I think it's superior, and it's just hearts and minds, asses and seats. Yeah, is going to make the conversions, and you yeah. just got to get the price there. And, and I think Aldo's done a good job of getting the price there. I think Zero has had the price for a long time, but the product hasn't been there. Yeah. And so hopefully they can wake their ass up. But truthfully, I don't think they have too many uh, months left in their company. But that's another can of worms. Yeah, for sure. Well, um. I'm stoked by it all, as you can imagine, for sure. To be part of yeah. it and be around it and see the bikes doing the things and having yeah. it legit, it's really good. The only problem with the MXR, no kickstand. Really? Is that just weight savings? Yeah. And, you know, they could get in the way. You can buy an aftermarket one, right? We we, we make one. You can put it on there. But, sorry, no kickstand to put up. Mm, that's interesting. <laughs> How do we know? How did I know that's where we were going to end? <laughs> It's like I've had a crystal ball and I just looked into yeah, it. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah. Kickstand Kickstands up. The they yeah. need to be up. Yes. All right, Quentin. Good talk. I'll see yeah. you out there. All right. Later. Do you listen to the last show? No. Well, of course not. You should. You should start listening to the podcast. It's pretty good. <laughs> I don't want to like, I don't want to like toot my own horn or anything. Yeah. But I think we do a pretty good podcast. Oh, yeah. Do you? Okay. <laughs> I wouldn't know. You wouldn't know. That's the horrible thing. <clears throat> <I> <clears throat> <laughs> You're freaking his coat out. <laughs> <laughs>